Good morning and welcome to the Vicious Cycle Podcast, Whiskey, Women, and Water. This is your host, Kenton Gear, and I'm currently at the helm of the Vicious Cycle, my boat, on my uh, weekly or near-weekly commute from Kona on the big island of Hawaii to uh, Oahu. Uh, we go to Honolulu Harbor, get ice, bait, and fuel before we go fishing uh, every trip, and uh Anything we catch along the way, uh, we just call a fuel rebate or a bonus. Uh, pretty good morning, no complaints. We started the morning off with an ahi right off the bat. Uh, coming up the uh, south side of Penguin Banks, and uh, we just took a double header of Onos uh, coming off the north side of the bank. So basically, anything we catch, just a freebie, I would say. Uh, eh, probably paid for our commute probably paid for that section as far as fuel goes anyways so uh it's always uh, a good way to start a trip always start a trip uh knocking off a few hundred dollars worth of fuel here and there more than a few hundred dollars price of fish have been really good lately thank goodness um no complaints in that department whatsoever uh, i just wanted to go over a few things before today's podcast gets going we have a really fun Ah. Oh. oh, the old radio check. They're not supposed to do it on Channel 16, but they do it over and over and over again. I actually feel bad for the Coast Guard having to reply back to all of those. If you want to do a radio check, it really should be like on Channel 9 or 10, for those that are wondering. But uh, sometimes the Coast Guard says something about radio check should be on Channel 16. And sometimes they just think it's easier just to do it. I think we've all been in relationships like that. Sometimes it's just easier to do stuff than to actually educate anyone. So anyways, um, yeah, so fun podcast uh, as far as just a young, enthusiastic Aussie fisherman uh, swears like a proper Aussie. He doesn't drop the C-bomb much, but the F word is just absolutely present. So if you have young ears around, uh, you know, and this is coming from me, the F word is used quite a bit in this podcast, this particular episode. So uh, if you don't want to hear the F word dropped every once in a while or pretty steadily, this just might not be the podcast for you. But, you know, he really speaks like an Aussie. I love his enthusiasm. We talk about his young uh, commercial fishing days and... Um, his transition into uh, sport fishing, and uh, I think you'll find uh, his honesty on some things, and uh, his enthusiasm is kind of contagious, you know, like, ah, you hear him talk about fishing, that's the kind of energy you want on the boat, you want that kind of excitement, that's the, uh, the kind of energy that gets you through those slow moments and you need to keep morale up because I'm a big believer that energy and vibe and morale is really what makes the difference a lot of times on a trip whether it's successful or not so I think you like this interview and just uh, another reminder for those guests that are either just joining us or the ones that have been listening if you've been following me on social media uh, or have read my book please uh Keep in mind that there is the Vicious Cycle Whiskey, Women, and Water sweepstake currently going. It goes until August 6th. Uh, there's multiple ways to win. I'm going to post up another uh, ad as a reminder tomorrow. But uh, 
We've got over 54 prizes uh, for people interested in winning. Uh, the grand prize being a trip with our number one uh, local sponsor, uh, Northern Lights Fishing with Captain Kevin. And uh, just an absolute legend of a man. Uh, the grand prize includes a five-night stay at the Sheridan on the Kona Coast and a three-day fishing trip with Captain Kevin and me as your crew. Um, like I keep saying to people, all that might be good except for the fact that I'm on the boat, but hey, that's part of the deal. So anyways, check out our, uh, check out our uh, <clears throat> Instagram page, Vicious Cycle Fishing. Uh, look for the uh, Vicious Cycle uh, post. It's about seven posts now, but I'll, like I said, I'll have another one up. And uh, make sure you're fishing, uh, following Hawaii Fishing uh, with Kevin Nakamura, Nakamura Now, I wanted to address that, too, because I've said that on a couple podcasts. I have a really good friend who's Kevin Nakamura, and he has absolutely nothing to do with fishing. And I keep calling Kevin Nakamura, and it's Nakamaru. And so, I know for some people that would be bothering them. Kevin's such a cool guy. I'm sure people bastardize his name on a regular basis, but still, it's very frustrating. I like to be called my last name properly, so it's Captain Kevin Nakamaru on the Northern Lights, and not Nakamura, my friend that lives in Ohio that I keep calling the other Kevin. So, sorry for Kevin on the Northern Lights, and shout out to Kevin Nakamura. I hope you're doing well, buddy, and I know you've been listening to this podcast, and been getting a laugh out of the whole thing, so... Uh, for those folks, again, want to follow the Northern Lights either on Facebook or uh, on Instagram at Hawaii Fishing. Great chance to win a sweepstake, uh, win a trip with a great fisherman, and um, this great trip on the Kona Coast. And like I said, 53 other prizes, three specialty packages for the most creative posts using my book, and. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. Also, another thing, um, I'm really heavily vested into putting out some proper uh, videos. I've got a bunch of equipment coming in. Uh, I'm going to be really trying to push the YouTube channel, uh, which is Kenton Ocean. Uh, I don't have much up there. Um, I don't have much up there yet, but uh, I did have one video I put up six months ago. I put up like 12 videos six months ago, and one of them's got 3 million views. So... Obviously, there's some interest in the type of offshore fishing that we do. And, um, ah, you know, there's just so many different fishing shows and things out there. Um, I just wanted to really do my best to document fishing, at least from my eyes. Uh, someone who does it for a living, someone who's passionate about it. And so if you want to go over and give me a follow on there, a like, a subscribe, it would mean a lot to me. Uh, you can expect a lot of content uh, coming out there shortly. Uh, I've got a big plan. The other thing is, for those of you who have been listening to this podcast and maybe been getting a little bit sick of the audio quality, um, I've also invested in that, and we're going to start doing live streaming. Uh, all that stuff's coming in. I hope to be somewhere around, um, somewhere around, uh, you know, hopefully early July, mid-July. Hopefully you're going to hear a, uh, a good increase and the audio quality, and um, I'm also going to have just a bunch of other features. I've really found that I'm getting a lot of people are really enjoying fishing tips and things like that. And so, anything I can do to help other fishermen, uh, that's that, you know that's what I'm going to do. So uh, I appreciate your guys' support. Again, this podcast it kind of found me, 
and uh, the amount of people that are listening it and the amount of uh, interaction I get from it is awesome. I really appreciate the support. I, I think if so many people hadn't gone out of their way to say, hey, I really like what you're doing, I don't know that I would still be doing it. Um, so I'm glad that there are people who are enjoying this. And uh, yeah, again, thank you. If you haven't reviewed my book yet, please leave a written review. I got a scathing one-star review yesterday that I posted up on my story on Instagram. And uh, the funny part is the woman who wrote it probably didn't get the review, the, 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 probably didn't get the response she wanted. I found it hysterical. I just absolutely started laughing because I think we've all been in a corner with one of these people before where they are just an angry, mad at the world kind of person no matter what. But I, uh, I, I put it up on my story and within two hours, it actually sold 22 books. I had so many people read that response and say, man, that makes me want to read that book even more because a lot of the people that follow me just aren't that kind of person so anyways I thought that was great I was gonna put it up on my main page but I try to stay pretty drama free and uh, but anyways if you've read the book reading the book um, please leave a review a written review uh, how you really feel about it even if you're like that Karen person they say there's no bad publicity that turned instantly into some book sales so uh, but I prefer honest, good reviews, but hey, if it's a terrible one, feel free to throw that in there as well. Uh, other thing, please like, subscribe, whatever you're listening, whatever platform you're listening to on this. And uh, let's get into the show. Thanks a lot, guys. Aloha. You got me, Josh? Got you, Kenton. All right. Take two. I don't know what happened there. A little technical difficulty on your end? Yeah, Roger, but no, I just sorted it out. All good. All right. Hey, Josh, uh, welcome to the show. First of all, why don't you go ahead and introduce uh, yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about you. Well, um, so I'm Joshua Allwood. Um, I'm 23. I live on a beach town called Mlulaba on the Sunshine Coast, Australia. Um, I've been fishing for about eight years now, since when I left school to go longline tuna fishing when I was 15 out of Mlulaba. Um I fished the last five giant black marlin seasons on the Great Barrier Reef, Australia. And um, before COVID fucked everything up, I was coming to Hawaii for about two months each year, normally during the summer, to um, fish over there in the Hawaiian Islands. Um, and I've done two winter stints there as well, and the last time being for you on board Vicious Cycle started last year. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's great. Let's... Uh... Let's uh, go right back to where you started, because that would be a very different um, idea for most Americans. Uh, tell us about leaving school at 15 to be a fisherman, because that, you know, you guys have a completely different type of school system, trade program. So why don't you tell uh, people at home that aren't familiar with someone leaving that early from school to go and fishing? Tell us about how that works. Well, um, a lot of Australians will actually leave end of grade 10 to go do a trade, say. Just like my dad did, he left end of grade 10. Um, and that was going to be the plan for me as well. But um, so when I was 14, I, um, I got a job down at the fish, my first ever job down at the fisheries wharf in the Bar, packing the um, tunas that 
got unloaded there on the weekends and after school, just minimum wage and that. And eventually it was like, wow, these fucking, these fish are so cool. I want to see where they're coming from. But they were coming off all the long line boats. And it's like, yeah, I want to do a trip and see how it goes. So um, I think just after I turned 15, I had my first trip lined up, which was a 10-dayer. And um, it turns out it was going to be out over Christmas time of 2012. And my mum was blowing up like, you're not going out over Christmas. But like, nah, I want to do this. So I, I went out, we did six days fishing and I just couldn't believe it, all the big yellowfin tuners, swordfish, and um, it did break me a bit, <laughs> but I loved every second of it in a way. And then When, um, you, when you say I, it broke you a bit, what do you mean by that? Oh, just the physical workload, because I've never done something like that before. And just the, the lack of sleep each day, like four or five hours. And like my body never experienced something like that before. What you know, do you? Why don't you tell the people at home what a day on a long liner out of Australia? Like, what would be an average day of work on a on a long liner out of Australia? Talk us through it. So an average day. So setting the gear, normally about oh, like everything. Like some boat, some boats set more gear than others, but normally the average is about five five and a half hours to set the gear, and then. And how many miles of gear would that be? Ah, uh, so some of the smaller boats. So that first trip I did was, um, I think, we're setting about, oh, somewhere between thirty-five to forty miles of gear. But like, say this boat I was working on a few years later, we would do fifty-three nautical miles of gear, and if the, every single, every single feet of um, mainline wasn't off the drum, the captain would crack the shits. <laughs> But so say five and a half hours to get it out, then we have our dinner time where that. Now hold be, on a second. Yeah. How, how how many hooks? How many hooks is fifty three miles? Is that fifty three miles in the water or fifty three miles across the surface? How many hooks are we talking? That's fifty three miles of line in the water. Okay. So like, what's that? Like thirty six miles across the top or something? Hey, Josh, you still there, buddy? Hey, Josh, pick me up, bud. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, you, you know, it cut out there, and that's one problem we've been having with some of the international calls. Uh, it cut out right when you were answering the question, how many hooks would that, how many hooks would that be? Um, now, I'm pretty sure that was about 2,500 hooks that was. Yes. 2,500. Yes. So, <laughs> so comparably – that's not very many hooks uh, compared to the amount of hooks that are thrown in Hawaii for that many pile amount of gear. Yeah, exactly right. Like sometimes some boats in Hawaii are well over 3,000. Hey. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Some boats are in excess of 4,000. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely not working on them. <laughs> well, I, I think I think the thing is is that it's not that um, they're throwing any more mileage of gear than you're throwing, but they're throwing more hooks per basket. Just yeah, so close to each other. Yeah, like um, yeah. one of the boats um, that would do 45 miles a gear during the summertime when like fishing's a bit slower, they would set 2,500 hooks. Or like sword fishing, they would set that like two and a half thousand hooks, but 
during the winter time when the tuna are on, they'd set 2,800 hooks on that same amount of line. So just gotcha. closer together to catch that schooling fish, as you know. Right. That makes but, sense. Um, anyway, so, yeah, say five and a half hours to get it out. Um, if you get four hours of good sleep, I'm, I'd be happy with that. And then normally about nine, ten hours to bring it in average. And then, but some boats have worked on was um, that the boat we were doing 53 miles. That would be six hours to set. And then average of 12 hours to set it, to bring it in <laughs> just to slow a boat. Yep. But um, yeah, so just my first trip when I was 15, just getting used to that workload. And like, and what would it... you expect to catch? And like, what would, what would you expect to catch for that much gear? Um, sometimes nothing, but other days, if you're getting 30 to 40 good yellow fin, 50 to 60 kilo or say 100, 120 pound, like that's a good day, not complaining. But like I've had days where we've caught like for three days fishing, we've caught like put six tuna on the boat and then we steam a day and night in some other direction. And first day, bam, we got 72 yellow fins, all like 100 to 140 pound, 72 of them. That will change. That will change morale on the boat quickly. <laughs> yes, it's just like going to war when it's like that. <laughs> In your time that you were doing those long line trips, what yeah. was the the biggest load of fish you ever saw? Biggest load of fish. Biggest load for numbers for seven days of fishing. We got about right on six hundred pieces of yellowfin. They were all ratfish, but they were like, oh, what's some pound? Probably. 40 to 60 pounds, 600 of them. The um, the first two days, we barely caught anything. And then it was the last five days. Like, within the first few hours of hauling the gear each day, we'd get most of them. And we're averaging, like, 110, 120 a day. And I, on that boat, um, I was 16 at the time. So the fish were small enough for one person to gaff and lift up which I was doing for nearly every one because I was the greenhorn. But it was fucking hard because, like, I was having to lift up all these little fish on my own, but they're still pretty heavy. <laughs> you know what I mean? When I was 16. <laughs> yeah, Roger that. But um, how, how many men crew were, would you be working with? Uh, so that boat I was just talking about, that was um, six crew. So it was me, the greenhorn, two Aussies in their late 20s, 30s. And then three um, experienced Indonesians. Yeah. So you, normally five, you, five or six crew. So you guys have Indonesian and your Indonesian crew down your fleet like they do in Hawaii as well. Yes. Yes. Um, and the ones here that, I'm, that are the ones that I'm just talking about now, um, they two of them did 10 years on Japanese boats. And now they've been fishing here in Australia for about 15 years. And they're the two guys that taught me, taught me how to gill and gut tunas. <laughs> So they have uh, a lot of they have a lot of experience. Oh yeah, you can yes. <laughs> mm. What about runs of big fish? Well, what, what, yeah, what like the, but, what was the biggest so, trip you ever saw for big ones? So yeah, that was for pieces, but for like, I've had a few trips on that boat. Like we'd get like six, seven days, we'd get like twenty five tons. I'm like that's twenty five metric tons, so that's twenty two hundred pounds. <laughs> so um. Yeah. Or like, say a big trip, like you get, oh, well, 
actually, wait one sec, just thinking. So my biggest trip ever I made for commission when I was 18, in seven days, we caught 125 swordfish and 303 big tunas. Wow. That's great and, fishing. Uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, seven days, it was just fucking flat out nonstop and we're actually taking tunas out of the brine tank to pack in the ice room just because we're getting so many. And um, so I was on 3.5% commission on that boat. So for the seven days fishing, I got 4,400 after tax when I was 18. <laughs> Which is pretty damn good money when you're 18 for seven yes. days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, that's and how, what's that? And have you saved any of your money or you just squandered it all away? Oh, well, no, I paid my boat back off my, my um, 20-foot fiberglass center console I bought back then. I was able to pay that off. I got a $30,000 loan for that back then, and I paid that off, and I just sold it three years ago, actually, because um, just always ended up being away and stuff. But I did catch a few black marlin in it. Um, but I remember that the end of the seven days, that trip, I hopped into bed. I didn't have to do wash that night or something happened, but I hopped into bed at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I did not get out of bed until 7 o'clock the next morning. Didn't have to piss or anything, just dead. <laughs> After that trip. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, you would have been totally oh, rooted. And, and Yes, I was fucking rooted. Oh, and the trip before that, Kenton, in five days, we got 536 mahi-mahis. <laughs> awesome. Big ones? Yeah, all thumpers like averaging that friggin' that tw- like fifteen or twenty five pounds, but then you get the bulls come through, and me and the it was me and four Philippine crew on that boat, and like we'd all take turns each hour, rotate on the kill floor. So like, when a green mahi comes up, you gaff it, you fling it over to him, and fucking trying to brain spike it and shit. <laughs> what? Uh, how much bycatch did you have? fishing in australia did you guys have much interaction with unwanted species um oh like you get you get you plenty of albacore and mahi mahi um yeah but there's all there's all the big market for it as you know yeah um you get your oil fish moon fish but not, you guys not catch, hey you guys catch many moon fish down there only when we set the gear deep because um as I was telling you how in Australia we mostly just surface fish, as in like the gear's only probably 30 to 120 yards down under the surface. That's what we're doing most of the time. So like we, we don't really see moonfish like that, but when we set the gear deeper, like you do, you, you're doing Hawaii a lot, that's when you get the more, more moonfish. And is it, do you not target the moonfish because there's just no market for them or? No, nah, don't don't target them. Nah, there's there's just not big enough market for them. No, they do sell for the ones you do catch, but there's just not the market to. We're just we're just chasing the um the tuna to export to Japan for sashimi and the US. What was the story? Uh, what is the deal when you guys catch a bluefin over there? There's some deal where you can only keep one a trip or something. Is that right? Well, the is this specific bluefin. Or Southern Bluefin. Well, tell us the difference. Well, what do you got? Well, so down off the southern half of Australia, oh, like in the cool months, you can get them off Sydney and that, but that's the Southern Bluefin. The biggest one, that they'll, they'll get to like 
I've actually I've never caught one of them, but they they get to about three hundred pounds. But the Pacific bluefins, they're the big cunts that get to like like Atlantic bluefin. You know what I'm saying? Um, but out of Mooloolaba, um, there might out of the Mooloolaba long line fleet where there's ten boats, there might be like two, maybe three Pacific bluefins caught each year, just because it's at total random. You know what I'm saying? Um, but then I think oh. Six years ago now, I was lucky enough to catch one. It weighed 203 kilo gill and gutted. And I was I was lucky enough to be, it was my turn on the kill floor and I, I got to clean it. So that was a fucking life achievement right there, Kenton. <laughs> 203 kilos. So what is that roughly in pounds again for the people so listening? 203, that's about right on 450 pounds gutted. Wow. And what, uh, how'd that fish sell? Any idea? So the um, it, it was already dead when we got to it on the long line. Like you could see a bit of the color was off in the skin. But when they graded it, they said the fat content was really good, but the color of the meat was just a bit off because it had been dead for a little bit on the line. Um, but we still got six thousand dollars for it on on the market floor in Tokyo to the boat. So um, but they reckon if it was alive and the better color, we probably would have got like twenty five grand for it. But at least we still got something for it. Must have been a really nice fish if you're talking those kind of prices with the modern day market. Yeah. Must, have had a lot, must have had a lot of fat. Yeah, yeah, it was a barrel. <laughs> what the? What's the coolest? Th- what's the coolest thing you ever caught on the longline boats when you were down there? Um, well, the by far the biggest maker maker shark we've ever caught. Like, so we're not targeting sharks, but as you know, you'll sometimes get a maker shark or two and. You'll keep them because they go. That's flake at fish and chip shops. Well, we caught this make mako shark. Big pink tangle comes up on the main line, and then this fucking huge mako. It, like it probably had to have been three hundred fifty kilo or eight hundred pound. So the the hook off our branch line is hooked in the dorsal fin. So then we um like yeah we're gonna keep it because there's plenty of room in the ice room for this fish. So we put the hydraulic. The, we get the big um the, the big gaff and of for the um hydraulic boom to lift it up. So this hydraulic boom can easily lift three hundred kilo. It was struggling to do it. So me and two others were gaffing it and lifting it from the tail as well. And the two other blokes were gaffing it in the head and lifting as well. And we just got it through the door. <laughs> wow, that was slob, huh? Yeah, and the thing was like stone. It looked stone cold dead. But when we got it up on deck and we're about to get a photo, its mouth just started like opening and closing real slowly. Hey, <laughs> yeah, oh, they have they have an and, incredible and, nervous system for sure. Yeah, and in its jaw was I counted it was either five or six Japanese longline hooks wedged in its jaw. <laughs> so uh, this thing was like a fucking gladiator man. <laughs> so you but, uh, so you took down a titan. Yeah, but yeah, what? couldn't escape. Couldn't escape the Aussies, hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, what what would a mako like that be worth in the market? Um, I think for makos we get so that just all stays domestically in Australia. But I think you can get like like three or four dollars a kilo for it, kind of thing. Yeah. So um, it's that- worth keeping when you get one dead. Like we we release the live ones and that, but um, yeah, still like a few bucks a kilo. So. What's that? Probably, oh, trunk weight. Yeah, probably a thousand dollar fish that was. Don't quite. I'm yeah. not sure the exact figures, but that's what. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, it all, well, it all adds up, right? I mean, um, yeah. We, we, 
we recently just had another shark thing pass. So pretty much keep keeping sharks is just a complete thing of the past in Hawaii, which is fine by me, but some people aren't super happy about it, but we just had some, you know, some, some stuff that passed, um, some legislation that just passed that, uh, yeah, sharks, shark, sharks are pretty much, you probably won't ever see one wade in Hawaii again, because it's just basically impossible to get a permit to keep one. It's not worth the time and the market's pretty much gone. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is nice that when one comes up dead, like in Australia, you have a place to sell it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If, if one comes up dead, no point wasting it. Put it to use, hey? But um, I, that's what I think. Yeah. So how did you make the transition uh, to uh, from longline boats to working on uh, Marlin boats? How did, how did that all happen? <laughs> so, um, well, this continues on the story. So I did that first trip, right? It's December 2012. And then I went back to school after the, the um, school holidays in January and um, I was still working in that fish factory um, on the weekends and such. And then it's like, oh, I want to do another trip. And then um, so June that year, 2013, I went to Hawaii with my family for a vacation, my parents and my youngest sister. And um, I went out on a charter boat called The Magic out of Kiwalo in Honolulu. And um, it was just a shared charter. I'd, I didn't catch one on the chair that day, but we got um, 280-pound ahis. So then, anyway, so we went home, and it was still like the school holidays, winter break kind of thing. And I had a job. I, I um, asked if we could go out on the sharpshooter longline boat. And he said, yeah, you can come on for a trip. And I... I knew it was going to cut into school time, but I asked, I lied to my mom. I'm like, oh, I'll only be gone for a week, but I knew it was going to be like two weeks. <laughs> so she's like, yeah, you can go. And then we went out, did that trip. I was just loving it, man. Hey, getting back out there, at long lining. And um, so I get back and then we're unloading and my mom comes up to me and she's like, oh, we got a surprise for you, Josh. You don't have to go to school anymore. So while I was at sea, my parents went to the school and got me accepted to leave to go working fishing. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Your parents saw your passion and let you follow it. And it was- yeah, it really was. But like, it was intimidating at the start because I the amount of workload, I, I'm not going to be able to, I knew I wasn't going to be able to handle it full time. You know what I mean? Like three weeks out of every month doing that shit. Um, so I ended up having to take a few – I didn't do that many trips the rest of that year just because it was knocking me around a bit physically and mentally. Um, but then I got a job on the straight shooter start of 2014 when I was 16. And I did five consecutive months on that boat. And that's when I did the – we caught the 600 pieces of yellowfin as well. Um, but that's – that age then when I was 16, that's when I could like handle that job on this boat. When I was 16, that's when I could just – handle the 16 to 18 hour days like i could do it kenton if you know what i mean like i'm fucking i'm strong enough now i've been broken in <laughs> they've broken you in yeah i've yeah yeah there's plenty of um sweat and tears from sore backs and that but then yeah finally yeah i can fucking do this <laughs> and um so 
June 2014 come around and me and my family went back to Hawaii for my mum's 50th. And um, it's like, oh, I've got to go fishing on the magic again. So I booked in a shared charter. And then that's when I met the main captain, uh, Russell Tanaka, who's been running that boat for over 25 years now. And um, we didn't catch anything that day. And then we were up the west side of Oahu. And then we'll, it was like three in the afternoon. We'll punch in 25 knot northeast trade winds back to Waikiki, to Kiwalo. And then all the other customers are on board downstairs sleeping. And I'm sitting up top with Russell, just like constantly asking him questions about marlin fishing and that. And I'm pretty sure I was probably annoying him. <laughs> and then I told him how I long line back in Australia. And he's like, oh, because they run two deckhands on there. And he's like, oh, one of my deckhands can't make it on Friday. Um, I'd like you to come along. So Friday comes along. I went back down, had this family on from Florida. And um, like I never charter fish before or anything. Um, all I did was just clear lines. But we caught um, two blue marlin, two yellowfin tunas, and two wahoos. And I gaffed them all. And um, at the end of the day, Russell's like, oh, let me know when you want to come back. I was flying back to Australia the next day. And Russell goes, oh, let me know when you want to come back and fish for me. So I went home back to Australia, long line flood out for a year on different boats and stuff. And then middle August 2015, I sent him an email saying, I'm still keen to come fish for you and learn from you. And um, he said, oh, there's a few days a week available. So when I was 17, I booked my um, flight to Hawaii for two months, just flew over there. Stayed in some random shared apartment. <laughs> and like I never lived with other people like that before. I was scared as. But um, that's where it all started, me fishing in Hawaii. And I've gone back for two months every year since. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. So I never actually went to Hawaii to look to fish. It just came upon Kenton. Well, some of the best things in our life find us. Not that's the other it. way around. That's for sure. <laughs> So, okay, so you're fishing in Honolulu, and uh, that's great. Now, how do you find yourself on the Great Barrier Reef? Well, um, so I think, yeah, after I did my first two months Hawaii, I, um, like, and I, that's when I was getting involved in, like, all this marlin fishing and that. And I hear about, oh, the Great Barrier Reef, Cairns, like, that's just up north where I live. And it's like, shit, I need to get myself on a boat for a season up there. So um, I managed to get on the Iron or two for the 2016 season. And that's when I seen you there as well. That was your first time back. Um, and, um, yeah, so I fished that season and that's just the rest is history since there and then. Um, but, yeah, I've done five seasons on there now. No, four seasons on the Iona and one on the Calera. Um, but just this last season going to that 2020, we had a, this epic run of fish. Um, so we fished the first three days. It was me, Maddie Holiday on deck as well with me, Adam Jordan driving and, and his good mate, Paul Yoon and the angler. So we fished the first three days. We had, didn't have a bite yet, Kenton and Kakoa caught like a release, like a 1200 pound of the week before. So then still hadn't had a bite the three days and that. And then it's almost the sun's like just, it's like just hit the water. 
Prime time. And I look back at the scaly on the short bait and I just see this the top half of this giant tail going down in the water. It's like, yes. <laughs> and then fucking we got we got that on, nine hundred pounder. And um we'll chase it was heck it was freaking awesome fight. Adam was backing down so hard and the cockpit filled like two thirds up with water and I had to open the transom door up a few times and shit. <laughs> and um we had it next to the boat in like 15 minutes, but I never got to pull on the leader. Like, as, like we're backing down sea and I put my hand on the leader and then the hook just comes out. So the circle was never in, obviously, but being the reef, like touch leader, still release fish taken. And so, well, anyway. that's, yeah, well, that's, I mean, you weren't planning on taking it. You're just planning on letting it go. So. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got the fun out of it, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And um, we found out the Garmin Verbs. Oh, because we, this uh, Paul Union, he had like a really good camera set up, but um, Maddie couldn't use it just because there was so much water frigging spraying all over the place and shit, as you know. And then, but our GoPros, the Garmin Verbs, they were actually off the whole time because they were just playing up. So we had no footage of it. But it, but like Adam wanted it for the um, the page and stuff. And like, yeah, it was a bit disappointing. We didn't get any footage of that one. So we that night we tried to trick up the verbs. The next day, um, the weather glassed out, and we caught three rats, and probably like oh, 150 to 250 pounders. And then we just released the third one, and then on the sh- short bait on the scale again, fucking bam, fucking explosion, man. I didn't see the fish. I'd just seen the explosion in the corner of my eye. And then, yeah, got him on. And then I never actually seen the fish. I just seen the splashes. But Maddie reckons this thing was, like, a lot bigger than the one yesterday. So then this is at number 10 Ribbon Reef, by the way. And then the sun's going down. And this fish is starting to sound, like, go down deep. But he's not playing by the rules, you know what I mean? Like, he's not staying up on the surface. So next thing you know, it's, like, 7 o'clock at night. And um, this fish, it's it, oh, we reckon it died on the line. It must have had a heart attack or something. So there's probably about 300 metres of line out. And this fish is straight up and down. Like, nothing's happening. It's like, yeah, it's, he's, he's toast. So we put the rod to the covering board to try and wicked tuner it, it up. And then just low speeding. And then me and Maddie were taking turns. But in, like, half an hour, we probably gained, like, 200 meters on it it's like yeah it's fucking coming we're gonna get them but then adam's marking the sharks on the sounder as well and then um we it's probably 50 meters under the boat and then yeah um the leader got cut off i should say yes so we lost him yeah that that happens there yeah uh, and then they're a problem over there no doubt about that oh and then we had like ropes out and stuff and by this time it was eight thirty at night, and like after we cracked it off, we'll we'll, we'll probably 15, 15, oh, at least ten miles from number ten Ribbon Reef, and then we had to go to Lizard as well. So we cracked it off. Oh well, yeah, bitten off. And then I just went and sat down on the lounge inside, just sweating like a dog, just fucking like sat and just stared at the ground for like the ceiling for like 10 minutes, just totally exhausted. You know what I mean? <laughs> Equally mentally exhausted. As physically. Yes. Mentally. 
Yes, just like fucking mind blank. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I do. Those moments are absolutely heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, so we get into Lizard by like nine thirty that night, ten o'clock, and then so th- this next day, this is Paul Yunnan's last day as angler, and it's like we've had these two big fish on. We don't have footage or photos for any of them. And it's like, come on, last day, let's fucking go. So then we're fishing number 10. There's a little bit of chop. Probably like, oh, just a five to 10 knot breeze. And um, there's a few boats that rock in. And then we see this boat, oh, this boat called Black Ops. It's a 40 foot something, but they catch like a 600 pounder next to us. And you know how it is. Like, oh, fuck, we were just there two minutes ago. <laughs> and then... So it's probably four in the Arvo. And then I see this friggin' dorsal fin and huge shoulders, inside out bite, slam the scaly mackerel. And I just scream as loud as I can, Kenton, big gun, big gun. Like this <laughs> fucking oath, man. It was so good. And then none of the other guys seen the fish. I'm like, it's fucking huge, man. It's a big one. And then, yeah, we had it on. It starts jumping. And then Adam's full noise reverse on him and then um we we got him up to lead I, I got to have i took two wraps and then he did a big fucking jump next to the boat and it was unreal and we got some good footage on the garmin verb and maddie took a good photo on the camera for paul to take home and then um we got and then the fight was probably tw- 20 minutes and then yeah cut him off on leader and fucking job done kenton so it all it all came it all came together on the last day from the two days of fucking. <laughs> wow, that's great, man. It's beautiful when it comes together. I still love your enthusiasm. Um, you know, I know you. I, it's kind of interesting. How did I, how did you ever enter my life anyways? <laughs> well, that was um, 2016 when I met you. So the 2015 the year before that was my first stint fishing hawaii for two months and then i've come back and i think i just met you on facebook and i've seen your videos on facebook and that and i think i was just chatting to you on that um and then yeah i'm like oh i'm coming to kona and um yeah i stayed at your place from what i remember yeah and yeah I, had my, I, was, I was 18 years old and, that, and then you pick you picked me up from kona airport <laughs> Yep, another <laughs> member of the uh, Captain K's home for wayward fishermen. <laughs> yep. Well, it's funny you should mention that. We're gonna put some serious effort into uh, vlogging the uh, Captain K's home for wayward fishermen. I've got uh, gonna gonna put out some YouTube videos, and uh, I'm putting a lot of effort into documenting just how fucking crazy this place is because a lot of people wouldn't believe it if they didn't see the video. Or when you, when you, especially like when you want to go fishing and your deckhand's missing, but he's actually sleeping in your back room. <laughs> yeah, because someone can't control their liquor. That, that, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> yeah, someone. I don't know who it is, but I just heard. Fucking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But, hey, I'll never forget that. I woke up, at, I woke up to my phone ringing. And it was Michael Sonata who rings off the last chance. And he's like, dude, where are you? Kenan's looking for you. And I'm like, what? I'm at his house in the back room. He's like, look on Facebook. He's looking for you. 
And I see all these messages from you. Yo, you're alive. Where are you? I'm like, holy shit. So then I remember Kent and I rang you and I'm like, look, I'm alive. All my limbs are still attached and I'm ready to go fishing. Yeah, I, I think you were only, what, six or seven hours late? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right on time. <laughs> uh, right on time. Oh, man. Well, all in good fun. How you doing with your drinking right now, by the way? Not bad. Yeah, good. Yeah. Got a pretty good balance happening right now? Yeah, just keeping it social. Oh, that's good. Well, I think the story that needs to be told is the one that you didn't want to tell initially. I think it's a, uh, a critical tale to help maybe warn someone else who might find them in that situation. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone the legendary Panama story? <laughs> I knew this was coming, eh? <laughs> well, I am, I'm going to be honest. All right. For, you owe me the Panama story after you fucking stank out my car you borrowed. It took us like six months to figure out that the fucking jack-in-the-box chicken that you <laughs> bought one drunken night was shoved up underneath the uh, car seat, and we couldn't find it because the way you shoved it up, you drunk fuck, it was moving back and forth with the electric switch. So that <laughs> the fuck... I didn't know about this. Yeah, well, well now well, you know. That's why you owe the story. So we couldn't get rid of this wretched smell. And one day, finally, I'm I, like, I cannot figure it out. And we have looked under the seat a hundred times. And finally, one day, I see like this, like the box had decomposed and there's like this fuzzy like petrified chicken wing and i pull and i and i i i able to pull it out and i pull it out and i'm like oh you son of a bitch and there was your missing fucking jack in the box wings i finally found them like months later we did everything to clean that car so you owe us the panama story all right oh that sounds like a fair deal <laughs> all right all right so 2017, friggin' um, just finished the um, the Black Marlin season, end of November on Calera. And I had a flight and I was going to Panama for two weeks. So, and a good friend of mine here in Australia, he'd been there. He's 40 now, but he um, he actually booked my booked my tickets to Bocas del Toro, Panama and that. Like, he, he did my trip itinerary and I just paid him the money back. So, I finished the can season. I go home for a day on Sunshine Coast, and the next day I'm back at Brisbane Airport flying to LAX. So I get to Panama, and then three days in, um, it's like I'm at this hostel called the Apple Lounge, and it's built over like the lagoon. Like there's wood, there's holes cut on the wooden deck for like pools to like swim in, right? There's a bar there and everything. So it's called the Filthy Friday. It's the big party day. We're like, well, everyone in the hostel is like having fun. So then everyone starts drinking at like, oh, it's like 10 in the morning or something. And the day goes on. Next thing you know, it's like after midnight. And um, everyone I had met in the um, hostel, like people I met in the hostel, they were at the club across the, um, across the lagoon in these clubs. And um, so I'm walking there, like stumbling down the road. And this, this bloke, 
he's on the second story apartment. He's like, oh, you want to come up for a drink? And I'm like, you can imagine me like, oh, yeah. And then so I go up there and he's like, what do you want to drink? Like, oh, yeah, I'll have a rum. And we're just talking away. And um, there's like all these, bar- it's like kind of weird because there's all these bars on the windows. And then he's sitting like probably two yards from me with a table in between us and the front doors behind him. There's no, there's, there's no red flags at this point. <laughs> no, I just thought he was a nice guy offering a drink. <laughs> and then, so we're just chatting away. Like, yeah, I'm just here from Australia and that. And then five minutes later, out of fucking nowhere, he goes, what kind of porn do you like? And I just like freezing time there. I'm like, holy fuck, what's happening? And like, Kenton, I'm I'm scared for my life because nobody knows I'm in that apartment. I don't have my phone or wallet on me. And like, I'm a bit beat up. So this guy could like, if he wanted to attack me, he could. So I just play it cool. Like, oh, yeah, whatever, really. And I stopped drinking the rum he gave me in case he put a fucking roofie in it. And then we just chatting away. And then next thing you know, he puts a fucking porno on his laptop and faces it to me. Can you imagine that? uh, Straight porn, gay porn? Oh, no, it was straight. So I'm sitting here watching this fucking porno this cunt's put on, and like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to say like, nah, I'm leaving in case he attacks me. You know what I mean? Is this a like, big guy? Is this guy a big guy? Oh, probably like no, he's under six foot, but like I'm all fucked up and like you know what I mean? Like if it's if he is some crazy fucker, he could knock me out. You know what I'm saying? So just playing it cool, and time goes on, and then. Wait. What do you mean time goes on? You're sitting there watching a porno with this dude? <laughs> I'm just stalling, like fucking. I'm just thinking about how to get out of here. And then eventually, he's the, oh, fucking. So he, he, he eventually asks, he's like, oh, do you feel like jacking off to it? And I'm like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, but I'm not gonna. Just, just, just acting totally cool, you know what I mean? I don't know what you mean. That's not what I would probably say. If I had my phone, I would have messaged someone, call the fucking United Nations. This is where I am. Send help ASAP. Like, anyway, so I've hit the point. Like, I've got to get the fuck out of here, man. I just can't keep fucking tolerating this shit. So then I'm like, oh, do you feel like jacking off to it? And he's two yards from me. He stands up, undoes his belt buckle, drops his fucking pants and jock, sits back down and starts jerking off. And then for like a second there, I think like every guy I met is at the club with a girl and I'm sitting here watching this dude fucking beat off. And like, why does this shit always fucking happen? (laughs) And then I get up and I do like a run to the door, but it's like a slow wobble. And And I open the door. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you doing? So it turns out he's he's a gay guy. He's not some fucking serial killer rapist. You know what I mean? That I thought he was. Oh, really? What gave you a sign that he was gay? No, I didn't th- I didn't want him to fucking attack me or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, anyway, anyway. How, 
How much did you think this would have been avoided if you were sober? <laughs> Probably one of the. <laughs> well, anyway, so I've left there, and I, and I finally get to the club where I knew the people from the hostel were. But I get to the club. Well, hold on a second. Place... So, so, so you just left the guy with his dick out? No. I... <laughs> anyway, no, I left there. I fucking walked off. Okay. So it's like th- it's like three a.m. or something, and then. I'm like mind blown by what's just happened. Like I'm just like shaking. I'm that fucking petrified about what just happened. And I get to the club and it's like closed down. Nobody's there. And I'm like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Like the partying's done. Everyone's gone home. Like I missed out. And then I see this local dude I met there earlier in the day and I start telling him what happened and like, Oh, this, that. And he starts laughing and he's like, Oh, I think I know who who did that to you. But apparently this dude, Miguel, he is known in Bocas del Toro for, like, coming on to straight guys that are drunk. <laughs> so this is, a ca- this is a cautionary tale for any listener. If a guy offers you a drink when you're stumbling down the road to avoid it. Dirt road as well. Dirt road. Oh. <laughs> Oi. So then I catch the $1 water taxi back to my hostel. And then... The Aqua Lounge. So then late at night, the security guard, he locks the front door and you just got to knock so he lets you in. And I'm banging heaps. I'm like, let me in. But he must have been fucking sleeping or something, this security guard. So I try and walk around the hostel and I see like this plank. And I'm like, oh, I'll see if I can walk around here. I take two steps and I'm like, what the fuck is that? It's like a plank of fucking rusted nails. Like, serious i took two steps on it so then i've got to swim underneath the hostel like under all the piers and shit (laughs) and then i climb back up through the swim ladder in the hostel and then i and then there's like 10 10 backpackers at the hostel they're all drinking sitting in a circle having a good time and i just go sit down there i can't even like talk man and I'm just thinking, you cunts got no fucking idea what I've just been through, eh? And then I was, like, gobsmacked. And then I went to sleep for a few hours, and I wake up at, like, 8 o'clock. And um, I had a buddy there. He's from Georgia. And um, I told him I was going there, so he met me there for a few days. And he's laying in his bunk, I'm in my bunk, and I start telling him what happened last night. And he starts laughing. And I'm like, no, nah, it's not funny. I was fucking scared for my life. And then... <laughs> and then I went out to the um, I went outside and talked to the um the lady that worked at the hostel, like a local Panamanian. And I'm like, you see that frigging plank out there with the rusty nails? And she's like, yeah, that's the Warsaw. That's the stop intruders getting in. And I'm like, I fucking took two steps on that last night, and she's just pissing herself laughing at me, eh? And Kenton, that was one of the that was probably the worst hangover I've ever had in my life. From so the alcohol, the... I could barely even fucking could I couldn't even walk because of the bruises on my feet from the nails, and I could have potentially been fucking raped or something that night. And then I still had like that was the fourth day into my Panama trip, and I still had another eight days there. And I'm like, I got to get the fuck out of here back to Australia. So I'm, I'm, I messaged my mate, and I'm like, dude, you got to rebook my flight back to Australia tomorrow. I can't fucking do this. 
I can't, I won't survive. And he's just like, oh, stop being a princess and shit, harden up. <laughs> and then, and then for the rest of the time there, people oh, to the to the backpackers in the hostel, I was just like, oh, you see the apartment above the dentist in town? Do not go up there. Just, I don't even have to explain. Take my fucking word for it. Don't go up there. <laughs> well, I hope that anyone who's listening that is going there will take your advice to stay away from the apartment above the dentist. And what town is that in again? Bocas del Toro. It's on the um, Caribbean side of uh, Panama. Well, folks, you have been warned. So <laughs> avoid the free drink offer. All right. Well, let's get away what? from. Oh, what? Unless, there, unless there's more to that story. No, nah, that's it. All right, let's let's get I, away I want, from. I want to tell I want to tell my favorite fishing day in in Hawaii. So, well, hold on a, a second. You, yo, you, you think the transition goes from masturbating men uh, to your favorite fishing day? Was that apparently so? All right, well, we'll go oh. with it. Go with it. All right. Fuck it. Um. Oh, now you just put me off, eh? Why did you say? It doesn't sound like. Doesn't sound like it was me that put you off. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. Right. Tell us about your greatest day in Hawaii. Okay. So it's October October 2015. And um, that's when I was, yeah, first fishing there on Magic. And um, we caught a few ahis the first two days. And then the charter the next day had suddenly cancelled. So um, Russell knew I liked to be the angler. And he's like, oh, if you – if we'll go to fishing tomorrow if you be the angler, if you want to. I'm like, hell yeah, that sounds awesome. So then it's me, Russell, Toots, the weekend captain for Magic. He's, oh, I'm not sure of his age now, but he's um he's been the weekend captain of Magic for over 25 years as well. And Michael Sunada. So it's us four on the boat. So normally you got to be at, you got to have to be at Magic at 4 a.m. sharp. And that particular morning, my phone rings at 4.15 from Mikey. He's like, where are you? You're late. I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm like stressing. I, ro- I leave the share department in Waikiki, ride my bike down to Kiwalo. Seems to be a re- this seems to be a reoccurring theme. No, this is a- <laughs> I don't know what happened. I didn't even drink back then. Uh-huh. And then, and then um, so I get to the boat. And I, Russell just looks at me. He looks at me and he goes, "Don't make us go fishing if you're gonna be late." And I was just, I was so angry at myself, eh? And I'm like, "Man, this is gonna be my best day ever." And I'm just already fucking slightly ruined it off the bat. And then, so we we leave Kiwale Harbour, still in the dark, and um, we're just chugging at ten knots to Barber's Point. And um, the sun comes up, and we we. We set the lines and Russell says, oh, before you jump in the chair, when we hook up, you clear at least one or two rods. He's like, yeah, no worries. So me and Mikey, we're sizing me up for the chair for the 130 rod and reel. And um, so I'm in the chair and Mike is Michael Sonata. He's, he's adjusting the leg, the leg length for me. And I'm strapped up to this rod and the rod goes fucking bang onto his head. He's like, what the fuck did you do that for? And I'm like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And then, fucking hooked up. I was already in the chair, hooked up to a blue marlin. <laughs> and then 
we caught that. I think oh, probably like 140, 150 pounder and uh, blue marlin. And then with the porpoise are off um, wine eye or something like that, the west side of Oahu. And um, we get a double hookup of ahi. And I catch one in the chair. Mikey cranks one of them halfway to the boat. And then when I catch the, the first one, then he transferred the rod to me and I wound in the second one. And then I'm gilling gutting them. Oh, and early that morning we caught live opelu, bait fish. So then we're in the porpoise school and we're throwing the live opelu. And one after the other, we're just hooking. So we're hooking one ahi at a time. I would wind in, wind it in off the, from the chair. And then when we caught it, I would be gilling gutting it. And then bam, we're back on um, with the other opelu out there. So it was just that cycle, you know what I mean, Kenton? Like we'd catch one. I'd catch, like I'd wind it in off the chair and then I'd be gilling gutting it. And then we'd hook the next one. I'd jump back in the chair. We'd catch that. I'd gilling gut that. And then just back in the chair and went on and on. And we got, how many? Four. We got four like that. And then, no, no, five like that. So now we've got one blue marlin and seven ahis on the boat. And then, like, by that stage, it was two in the Arvo or something. It's like, yeah, we got to start going back to Kiwalo. So we're trolling back, and I sit up top with Russell, and I'm exhausted, man, from from being in the chair, and my legs are just toast. And then on the short rigger, we hook this blue marlin, and then I jump in the chair, and Russell's like flat out reversing. He's like, "You wanted to do this. You wanted to be the angler, and I'm just whining as fast as I can, totally exhausted." And we caught that. And, yeah, ended up with um, two blue marlin and seven ahis that day. And all the ahis were, like, 110 to 160 pound, I'm pretty sure. But that was my... It's a hell of a day as an angler. That That, that is my, yeah, that is one of my favourite days of my life, for sure. That is something I'll always look back on and smile about. That is an awesome day, for sure. I've got, as we're coming into uh, the end of this interview... I promised to take my kids Manta Ray diving tonight, so I need to oh, do a beautiful. few things. Yeah, man, so i got to do a few things uh, here. So I'm going to – normally I'd like to have all the time in the world for you, and you've been kind enough to already give us 53 minutes, but I've got a series of questions, um, and I just uh, – we're going to go through them real quick. And, uh, you know, they don't have to be long answers, yep. but uh, let's go. Um, <laughs> what has been your greatest success in fishing? Probably fishing on magic in in Hawaii. That's that's my favorite. And I'm and my other. I've got a few actually fishing Hawaii. And when I started busting my ass longlining as a little weak weak greenhorn, and now I can totally I can confidently winch and drive the boat um, during fishing and everything on deck. So that's a real big accomplishment to me. And um, yeah, I just love and leadering a few big girls on the, the Great Barrier Reef as well. So that's probably three. You asked for one, but I just gave you three. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah. Your, your counting is good. Not a problem, though. We love it all. What has been your greatest failure, and what did you learn from it? Oh, we just told that story. No. <laughs> no. Is that, is, oh, I mean, no, I mean is, is that really your greatest failure? 
No, that's not. No, it's not really a failure. Um, it sounds like you it's got, um, more than anything. You got lucky on that story. Greatest failure. It's um oh, probably just um making a few, making a a wrong choice and um. Uh, God, just long story short, just yeah, made some choices. Of, Thought I ruined my fishing career and that, but um, what do you I'll, mean? I'll, leave, I'll keep it short like that. Just uh, well, you didn't, you, didn't an, you didn't answer the question. What was your greatest failure, and what did you learn from it? Getting kicked off a boat for the Cairns Marlin season, but um, I I learned um, just yeah, always stick to your word and don't fuck up. That's that's I'm just keeping it short like that, eh? Yeah, no, that, that's good. So, yeah, you, basically, what you're saying is, some, one of your actions got you kicked off a boat, and yes. uh, whatever that lesson was, you've learned not to repeat it. From some, something you did cost you a season on the boat, and uh, you've learned from it. Yes. Yeah. Correct. All right. Who have been the most influential people in your fishing career? Russell Tanaka, you, Kenton Gear. No, oh, you're lying now. <laughs> um, Daniel Carter, he's a long line captain here in Australia. Jason Boxhell, who I'm actually going to be long lining for in a week's time. Um, who else? Yeah, probably my top few, eh? All right. Very good. Okay. You get shipwrecked on an island. You can have three people and three items. What are you bringing with you? And who are you bringing with you? <laughs> um, three items. Fucking. Just only three? <laughs> That's why it's a hard question. Three people, three items. You're stuck on a, you're shipwrecked on an island. Who are you taking with you? Um, I'll take Kane Oliver, who I know from Wahoo, but he's back on the U.S. mainland now. I would take, I would take Bo Bertelman. He's a fisherman from Oahu. I would take. Hmm. Fuck. And probably Michael Sonata. And I would take. You had three items. Fucking. Take some rum. <laughs> Uh, is this a survival story or what? Well, what it's a shipwreck story. I mean, shipwreck. come on. Oh, I'll fucking take a Swiss Army knife, fucking flint and stone, and bowl of rum. Fuck it. I, I do want to point out though, you're the first guest that has ever picked uh, three dudes versus three women, and ever since I've been doing this, you know, 
I started to think maybe that Panama oh, story has yeah. some holes in it. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. You probably survived with those things. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, a couple of things we have to ask. Most beautiful thing you've ever seen out at sea. Most beautiful thing. Fucking giant black marlin jumping out clear out of the water. Oh, that is a beautiful sight for yeah. sure. Favorite whiskey? I I don't do whiskey, but if I had to give one a fireball. <laughs> that definitely sounds like you don't do whiskey. <laughs> Favorite place to fish in the world? Oahu. Best strip club in the world? Ballerina's strip club outside of Waikiki. I'm going to... Um... Well, I'm not going to interject my opinion oh, on there. Oh, but... I was sick. Oh, there's Femnu as well. Yeah, I don't know. I'll let, I'll let that slide. Every man has their own opinion. Ballerinas wouldn't be in my top 20, but uh, that's all right. <laughs> I, guess it's all, I guess it all depends on what, what you've seen in the past. All right. best. This should be an easy one, I think. Best bar in the world. Probably my favorite. I have to go either Laverne Sports Bar in Kona or, or probably the Woolshed as well, I have to say. Uh, man, I, can't, I can't even believe there was a question on that. And I, Quinn, I was actually there four nights ago. <laughs> uh, and, and what's the current status of that place with COVID? No, it was pumping, man, eh? But no one's up on the no no chicks were dancing up on the tables. The tables were fucking gone. What? I know. What what was that because of COVID? Must be, yeah. It's just like people sitting down. Oh no, there was seats there, but people sitting down. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Wait, how the hell does that work in a place where normally they're dancing all over the tables and shit? Like No, they were just seats. Yeah, I know. It was weird, but it it must be from COVID. It'd have to be. What are, do people have to wear masks in that place? No, no, no. So you get you can drink in a bar, like you can. Yeah. Is there social distancing over there? How's that work? No, and you can dance again. Like I was dancing, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, well, I don't know. I've seen you dance. I don't know if you can say that's for sure. I mean, you were doing something out there. I believe that. But all I know is there weren't any chicks dancing on tables. That's all I know. That's a sad day, my friend. Let's hope that changes. Yes. That might be the worst. That might be the worst thing I've heard out of COVID yet, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Woolshed. Uh, that's, that's brutal. Blonde or brunette? Brunette. Redheads. All crazy or just 90% of them? Uh, I don't have any experience to say. You have to answer the question. You've never met a redhead before? Oh, oh, I thought you meant the other thing. Oh, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say most of them probably are. Most of them are crazy. Yes. Okay. Well, you see, uh, you see, you know, you see on the hot crazy matrix on YouTube when he's like the uh, no go zone. He's like, easy, you redheads, you strippers, and yeah. 
<laughs> I, you know, I have seen that at one point. I didn't realize those were all grouped in there like that. I, it's been a yeah. long time since I saw that. Redheads are in there with strippers. Yes. That makes sense. Uh, <laughs> favorite quote about fishing? Big or small, kill them all, every ounce counts. Wow, that's, uh, that, that must be from your commercial fishing career. I learned that from a guy called Brandon Hazen. Up, he's a, uh, on the north shore of Oahu. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, that definitely sounds like an old school fishing quote if I've ever heard one. Um, <laughs> let's end this with inspiring words for future fishermen. Fucking go hard or go home. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> That, that's a good one okay how do people find you uh how do people find you on the internet where can we find you uh like social media yeah in case someone wants to follow you or maybe that guy from panama has a follow-up <laughs> oh, yeah, <don't> let him fuck. <laughs> um but my instagram is josh.allward that's a-l-l-w-o-o-d um and my First name on in, on Facebook is Joshua. Yes. All right, buddy. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, appreciate it as always. Uh, my kids are still mad at you about the chicken in the car, but you're still family to me. So, uh, all right, buddy. Well, take care of yourself. I need to get organized. I'm going man ray diving. Have a beautiful day. And I guess he's out. Aloha. Thanks again for listening to the Vicious Cycle Podcast.